Thank you for downloading Kingdom Culture with Danny and Danette Taylor. Recorded October 19th through the 21st, 2018 at House of Hope in Cranbrook, B.C., Canada. We pray that this will be a blessing to you as you listen. Wow. Hi. So I'm not supposed to really talk yet. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> um, wow. The worship team, we are scattered, but... Your song selection this morning, it was a four Kleenex worship service for me. (laughs) I had to go clean my face up and still a little bit raw. Um, And in the process of all that, uh, the Holy Spirit kind of started shifting things. So I had this like really kind of decently presented message written out and I'm not sure I'm supposed to go there now, but we'll see what happens. Um, So I'm just going to pray. Let's start there. And if anybody wants to use the prayer room while I'm preaching, that's fine, too. I'll take all the support I can get. Um, So, yeah, Holy Spirit, we just thank you. We thank you that your presence is here. We thank you, God, that you ordained this time for us to be together. You've got a purpose. You've got a plan. And I just thank you, God. I'm with Jeff. What else do we say but, wow, your presence is amazing. Your presence is life-giving. Your presence is healing. Your presence contains everything that we have need of. So we just receive from you, God. We receive everything you have for us this morning. And uh, if you need me to say words, then I'll say words, God. But we just love your presence. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, So... um, my husband's a great teacher. You heard him last night, and he just knows how to get in there and study and look up words and translate, and he, he has, seriously has boxes of Bibles, and he reads, you know, he just is amazing. And, and I read, um, you know, I know how to read. <laughs> I read, and I'm like, huh, that's good, and I just kind of like, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and that's what I do. And I've tried looking up words before, you know, I've tried looking up words like, you know, don't or not, like, what does that really mean? It means, you know, don't or don't do that or not do that. Or you know, It wasn't very deep for me. I don't even know the right words to look up to get deeper meaning. So, um, <laughs> so it's just me today. And, um, I haven't really ministered since I've been out of Africa, which has been two and a half years. And it's been a, a, a journey coming out of Africa. And um, I was preparing for this and really praying. And, and I had a dream. And in the dream, um, it was about a preaching. And this person that I really highly respect was in my dream. And she just said, just tell your story. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't want it to be about me, though. I really want God to touch hearts. I, want tra- I, I love to encourage people. I love to see transformation. I love to see healing. I love to see people walk away with something that, that, that they can take through the rest of their walk and their journey, you know, that makes a difference. So, um, so I, I was getting little things, and I was writing things, and I was coming up with stuff, and I felt good about it. And, and in worship back there, it was just like, tell your story tell your story. So you're going to get some of my story today. And I just really pray that it encourages you because I know I'm not unique. I know I'm not alone. And I know that what I walk through is not in, uh, separate from what anybody else walks through. This, just the story looks a little bit different, but the basics are there. 
So the question is like, where do I start in this story? Because <laughs> it's I'm I'm going to be 59 next year. Next next year, I wish next month, I'll be 59. So I've got a lot of years of stories there. Um, my husband and I have been married 40 years. We had celebrated 40th anniversary last um, March. We have three sons. We have eight grandchildren. We have one great granddaughter. Um, and uh, so our journey in in family life has been interesting. Um, when I was, I'm the youngest of seven total, but I was raised, there was four of us raised together. We had one of those families of my parents was both their second marriages. So they had kids from the first marriages and then, you know, they decided once I came along, they should probably stop doing this. So, um, so I'm the youngest of seven and, um, uh, was not a, raised in a Christian home. My dad was uh, an alcoholic, and um, my parents divorced when I was 10. My mom passed away when I was 12. I was sent to live with my dad and his, new, his third wife. My dad's story is amazing. I'll tell you his story. Um, so he, uh, he my, my one sister, the, the older kids had already been out on their own, and so it was just one sister left, and we went to go live with our dad. And then she graduated and moved out. And we were told repeatedly in this home that once you turn, once you, not turn 18, once you, once you graduate, you're gone. Like, you figure it out. You find a place to go. I don't care what it is, college. I don't really, it didn't matter. Just, you don't live here anymore when you graduate school. So my sister graduated and left. So left me there alone. And, uh... When I was 16, I had, by then I had gotten into some uh, drinking quite a bit because I'd watched my dad. Like, that's what my dad did. That's how he solved his problems. So I tried to do that. It didn't work out very well. Um, I smoked a little pot. I smoked some cigarettes. And, um, and then my stepmom and I had a little um, rather uh, not fun discussion one day where it ended up where I left house. Um, I wasn't really welcome to live there anymore. So at 16, I'm like... What am I going to do? So I had a friend down the street. It was just her and her mom. And her mom's like, well, you can live with us, but we go to church. And I was like, live on the streets. I'm a huge coward and a chicken. I wouldn't last long there at all or live here and go to church. I bet I can go to church. And I had gone to church. My parents would send us to church on occasions. So I knew a bit about church, but I didn't, was, didn't know the whole package. So um, I moved in with them at 16, and I was church three weeks and was at the altar giving my heart to the Lord and just fell in love with God and fell in love with who he was and the prospects. I, I had a, I it was back there that that was in the seventies, the good news Bible, you know, it was like modern day translation. I could read that, <laughs> understood some of it. So I just, I just remember like pouring my heart. I just read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And I was so hungry and I, I wanted to live for God. And Shortly after I became a Christian, we moved from Sacramento to Reading, and um, I was did my last year of high school, my senior year in high school in Reading, and I was in a, a youth group, and we would have prayer meetings, and we would just have these wild times with God, and it was just awesome. and And one night, our church had a uh, a music night, and um, where it was just different people would just come and you know play. Christian songs, of course. It was a little Southern Baptist church where this was the sweetest people ever. And um, there was this group that came. They were a family. And there was this really tall, good-looking guy who played guitar and was the main singer. And I was like, oh. I asked my friend, who's that? I don't think I've seen him before. 
well, you'll hear later in the story I actually had, but I didn't remember. But um, it was Denny. And so uh, just being the friendly, you know, welcome hostess that I am, during our break, I went up and invited him to our youth group party because we would always go to pizza after, you know, meet nights like that, Sunday nights and stuff. So he says I asked him out on our first date. That wasn't a date. That was me being friendly and, you know, wanting to make sure people felt welcome in the church. So, <laughs> so he and his sister came and um, we, we went to pizza and it took him about, was it a week or two to get my phone number and the courage to use the phone number and call me. And so my 17th birthday was our first date. And our first date was with a, um, at the time his family went to Bethel and Bill Johnson, um, Bill Johnson's dad, Earl Johnson was the pastor and Bill was doing Bible studies at a little place downtown called the Salt House. And they were reaching out to city people and street people. That was our first date. We went to a Bible study with Bill Johnson at the South House, and then we went out to dinner. And um, so we were engaged by March, uh, April, my senior year, and we got married the following year in March. And uh, so I was 18 when I got married, and, and we were like, we had this plan. You know, I love the scripture that says we make our, we, we make our plans, but God directs our steps, you know. I, that's been one of my life verses, I think. <laughs> so... Uh, we had this plan, you know, we're, we're, I'm 18, we're going to wait a couple years before we have kids because, you know, I need to grow up a little bit. And so two months later, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> so I had my first son when I was 19, I had my second one when I was 21, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this can't keep happening. Like, I, I didn't have a mom, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have support, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but I always wanted to be a mom. When I was little, I, I, was, I was the little girl, I was the girly girl, and I, and I had the baby dolls, and I had the strollers, and, and I, you know, the bottles, and I was always wrapping the babies up, and that was my thing. I was going to grow up and be a mom. I didn't really know what else to do. Um, and so I was, I was not unhappy to have these babies, but I didn't want to keep having them because I wasn't sure what to do with them once they got out of baby stage. I, <laughs> when they started being these little people with opinions and attitudes and tempers, I'm like, I don't know. And, and, and so we raised our kids, and, and we were in the time of the church where um, Dobson, you know, was the big teaching of the day. And, uh, and so, you know, you carried your wooden spoon around all the time. You had one in every, you know, the car, the purse, the diaper bag, the, you know, because you had to beat the hell out of them, I guess, because, so they wouldn't go there. You know, that's kind of the interpretation we had. And so, um, so that we raised our kids and, <laughs> you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You learn more from what you did wrong. That's, that's really the, that can be the title of this message is, you know, you're learning more from doing wrong than doing right. So we raised our boys, and and then uh, down the road we started going. Gosh, we kind of want another one, you know. But we took care of those stuff that prevented it because nothing worked for us. <laughs> we tried twice, nothing worked for us. So um, so we wanted another one, and we really couldn't have another one unless we wanted to go have things reverse, and we just didn't do that. So um, so we started doing foster care. And uh, we started taking in foster babies, and we would, we would foster them. But the thing about foster babies is you have to give them back. Like, you fall in love with them, you, you nurture them, and you take care of them, and then they go, time's up, give it back. And we're like, I don't want to. <laughs> it hurts. 
So, um, so we, we'd given up this newborn. I picked him up from the hospital and, and we had him for three weeks and we had to give him up. And all of us, my boys and everything, we all felt like our hearts were being ripped out of us. And I'm like, like, God, I don't know if I can do this again. Honestly, I just don't know if I can do this again. This is so painful. And, uh, we, we went on a vacation and we came back and I got a phone call and it was social worker saying, Hey, we have a baby for you. And my first reaction was, I don't know if I can do this. And I, and so she goes, let me just tell you about him. He's, he's, um, he's eight months old and, um, his name is Anthony. And I was like, Oh, well, my, my oldest son is Nathaniel Anthony. I said, that's interesting that the same name he was, yeah, his, he was born January 25th. Nathan's birthday is January 25th, 10 years apart to the day. And so I said, well, let me talk to my husband. And, and I was really like throwing it on him for him to go, you know what? We're done with this. We've tried this. It's painful. We're not going to do this. And he says, you know, we went into this saying, God, whoever you bring to us, we will not turn away. He reminded me that we had already said that. I was like, oh, that's right. We said that. Okay. Yes. We'd love to take this baby. He was going to be a long-term foster placement or possible adoption. His mom didn't follow through with her plan, and she lost her rights, and he became adoptable. So we adopted our third son. And, um, and he, he's a character. But I tell you, it's the hardest thing we ever did was raise this baby because he had been abused so severely from birth. He was taken away from his mom at four months because she had thrown him to the ground and being angry at him outside on the sidewalk. And his little head was flat from being bottle-propped. He had had starvation issues. He had had alcohol, fetal alcohol syndrome. He had just had severely not treated well early time. And then he went to a foster home in the county he was at there, and he came away from there with cigarette burns on him and scars on him. Um, we kind of feel like he was in a ritualistic type home type thing that did not fun things. So he came to us at eight months, shut down, just um, no personality. You know, you tickle babies and you play, and he just was just stone-faced. So we watched him just evolve into this sweet little boy and just adorable. And um, But he had a package that he kind of had this uh, invisible tattoo that said, reject me on him. And so he lived out of that identity that created lots of problems. And um, so... He was, uh, he, was, he was a challenge, but, you know, I, just, I love him to pieces. He's, he's going uh, to be 30 in January, which he's so excited about because that means his brother's going to be 40. <laughs> and he's, he's been looking forward to this for years. When I turn 30, Nathan's going to be 40. <laughs> so um, well, that's happening in January. Um, but his, like, he's gone through his little, he's in his journey. We say he's, um, he's working on his testimony. He's, uh, he, for a living, he trims pot plants, him and his living girlfriend that have a baby. They have adorable baby, adorable baby. She's four, um, uh, four and a half. And, uh, so that's what they do. They, they trim pot plants for a living. Um, so you don't really want to put that on your Christmas card, but you know, <laughs> but you know, we've just learned how to love him. We've learned how to love him where he's at. Like we, he knows us, he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows, um, but he knows that we desperately love him. We pray for him all the time. We pour into his life whenever we can. He lives in Reading, so we have access to him um, when he wants it. 
And that's how we leave it. We leave it on his terms. And um, he's amazing, and he's got a tremendous call of God in his life, and he's Mr. Evangelist. He doesn't know a stranger. Like, he can, from the time he was little, you know, he, we, he, took, he went on our, tra- our missions, except for Zimbabwe. He went on the islands and then into Mexico with us. And he just, he's just a natural. And so he's still working on his testimony, and, um, and so he's, he's going to be there. He's going to get there. My dad, my dad's story, um, I'm going to jump back there, is he was married to wife number three when I got kicked out, and, um, and then he married a fourth wife. He kind of had this plan, I think, that he really never left one until he had another one lined up because he didn't like being alone. He's a twin, so he's, you know, he's used to being with someone all the time, even, you know, inside there. Like, so he, he liked company, and um, so he always had someone. So number four... Um, for some reason, these wives he had really didn't care for me very much. I think I don't. I don't know why. I I think I'm. I think I'm nice. <laughs> but, I don't know. I don't. Maybe don't come across that way to these stepmoms. I don't know. I don't get it. But um, she and my my sister right above me, who's my dad, her and I are my we're only real sisters. And um, she was she was the petite, the petite tiny blonde, long blonde hair, tiny little thing straight a student like she was the model that we were all to live up to in our family she was the one that had it and so um so yeah so some somewhere my my dad's wives would pick up on that and like they liked her so this one she didn't care for me too much so i didn't really get to know her very well i was married and had my kids by then and um she ended up getting cancer and she passed away and now my dad's alone. He didn't see that plan coming. He didn't. He was in control of that plan. <laughs> so he was alone. And his first wife, um, she was a uh, pastor's daughter. And they actually, my dad's family went to her dad's church when they were kids growing up. So they knew each other from years way back. And they were in, I think they were in high school together because they're the same age. And um, so she never remarried when he left her. And he left her with three kids. And she never remarried. She raised her kids, and she worked hard, and, and she was sweet. We knew her growing up. I, I'm, I, I made the mistake. Um, I didn't understand all these terms. But when my mom was still alive and somebody asked me who Evelyn was, I said, oh, that's my stepmom. And my mom's like, no, she's not. <laughs> and I was like, but she was married to my dad. Yeah, but that was before. It makes a difference when it's after, not before. I was like, I don't it's my brother's mom. <laughs> that sounds better. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> I, I had a confusing life. What can I say? So, um, so anyway, she never mar- remarried, and she's a believer, and she prayed for my dad all those years, for 40 years. And um, he got his heart right with God after the fourth wife died, and he remarried um, his first wife. And they went to church together, and they prayed for us. And the first time we went and saw my dad after he was married, we, he had this little apartment, and, and we're getting ready to leave. And he goes, well, wait, you can't leave till we pray. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, who are you? <laughs> my dad had never prayed for me. I was 30s. I was in my 30s, I think, maybe by then. Never heard my dad pray. And he grabbed our hands, and he insisted every time we left his home, he had to pray for us. And... I, it was just the most overwhelming thing. And he lived another 20 years. He passed away a year ago, July. And I got to be with him just in some of the final days. And I got to bless him before he left. And, and I, got to, I got to leave him knowing we were okay. 
That was huge to me. That was my prayer is, God, don't let him go without me being able to make sure we're okay. And we were. We were totally okay. And and, because, you know, I read in the Bible, it talks about forgiveness, right? I mean, how many have read that? Like, anybody else see that? Notice that little part in there? Um, And so I'm just thinking, that's what we do as believers is we forgive. who, Who of us goes through life without being hurt? Who of us goes through life without trauma or, or disappointment or, or whatever? We all have it in some level or measure than, than another. But what is our response? Our response is we need to forgive and we need to love and we need to bless. So God, God spoke to me and taught me those things kind of early in my Christian walk, I guess. And, um, and I remember the Lord would wake me up in the middle of the night when my dad was in one of his marriages and, and the Lord would say, write your dad a letter. So I'd, I'd write my dad a letter and I would confess, dad, please forgive me. I did this when I was in high school. I used to, <laughs> I, I smoked. And in those days, cigarettes were 50 cents a pack. Can you believe that it cost that much money to smoke? <laughs> and my dad was very meticulous. And so every night he would take the change out of his pockets and he would have, um, I don't know if you know what Alka-Seltzer is. And there used to be these little glass bottles that Alka Salsa came in. It fit the same size as a quarter. He'd put his quarters in that. He'd have a cigar tin tube thing that the dimes would fit in. And he had something else, the nickels. And the, so he would meticulously put his change in his things every night. And it was in his bedside drawer. And I used to think, two quarters. Like, how is he going to miss two quarters? So I would go steal money out of his drawer to buy my cigarettes. And, um, of course, you know, I didn't have a conscience about it at those days. And then I became a Christian. I was like... I stole from my dad. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. What a horrible, rotten person I am. So the Lord's like, well, you know, just repent. So I, you know, I prayed, I repented. And, and so I'm writing this letter one night and I'm confessing to my dad, I used to steal money from you. And I'm so sorry, would you please forgive me? And I had no idea how much I stole. And I said, Lord, what do I do? And he goes, get a $50 bill. So I got a $50 bill and I put it in the letter and I said, please receive this as some, t- some way of me making up what I took from you. And, um, and that was never spoken of. <laughs> I mailed it. It was never spoken of. But I, it was okay because I did my part. And, and then I would write him and I would ask him for forgiveness for being such an ornery teenager and, and the things that I would do. And, and, and I used to have this, like, this poor me thing of, like, you know, I'm growing up without a mom. And, and you know, that whole victim thing that we fall into of... Um, you know, that, that whole mentality that Denny was talking about. So I had that. And so um, then the Lord would say, your mom might not be here, but you still have a dad, and your dad loves you. No matter what it looks like in your world and in your mind, it doesn't maybe measure up to what you think it should look like, but your dad loves you. So I would write him, and I would thank him for loving me in the midst of my ugliness. And I just I would write him letters, and he would never, ever, ever speak about these letters. Even in the very last days, one of the times he was in the hospital, we'd been at Sean and Isabel's, and I got a phone call that hey, my dad had been in, uh, going to the hospital for heart surgery, and I needed to, to come. And um, I got to spend time with him in the hospital, and, and he would say, I was, um, the different siblings all live in that area, and so I was, I lived in Mexico at the time. And so I flew in and they'd all been taking turns spending the night in the room with him. So he wasn't alone. He didn't like to be alone at all, I guess. So I got my turn and I felt so honored and so blessed to take my turn. And, um, I'd be in my little bed next to his and he'd say, you know, that whole thing with Stella, which was the stepmom that kicked me out. Really sorry about that. Like that's his, 
that was his asking for forgiveness. Like that's, it was the most I got, but I grabbed it, you know? And I was like, dad, I've already forgiven you. I've already, that's already dealt with on my side, but thank you for saying something, you know? So, um, so I, I had this, I, I, for me, it was just, it's not natural. It's forgiveness is something you have to intentionally do. It doesn't, it's not usually our natural response, but when the Bible says that you need to forgive, it's something we need to work on if it doesn't come natural. So I worked really hard on this. So we were in Sacramento the week before, a couple days before my dad died. And, um, my brothers who was from the first marriage, we had been sitting around the table and one of my brother's wives was very bitter and didn't like my dad because she only knew my brother's side of their relationship, which wasn't positive. So I got two brothers and a sister-in-law and myself sitting at the table and somehow, somehow the conversation, you know, when somebody's dying, you just talk about all the good stuff, but somehow the bad stuff started coming out. And I was like, yeah, I remember when, you know, when I got kicked out and uh, Stella kicked me out and my dad didn't fight for me, you know, like that didn't feel very good. And oh yeah, when he married wife number four, he called me drunk one time and said that I was cut off from his inheritance, that my sister was getting everything. He just wanted to let me know, just, you know, clue in. So like, yeah, I had to work through that. That didn't feel very good. So, you know, I'm just kind of like talking about this stuff and they're looking at me like, so my sister-in-law, I shouldn't repeat it exactly how she said it, but why in the heck are you here? (laughs) You know, why are you here? He's dying. Why, if he treated you like that, why are you here? And I said, well, I love my dad. I love him. I, and I'm a, I'm a believer. I believe in God and I believe in forgiveness. And I believe that that's what we're required to do. And, and so that's what I've done is I've forgiven him. And, and the brothers sitting at the table had both molested me when I was a child and I had already forgiven them. And so I'm sitting at a table where forgiveness means a lot. <laughs> Not that it doesn't always, but do you know what I'm saying? So, um, so I'm just like sharing. I'm being me. I'm just sharing. I'm kind of one of those people you don't ever have to wonder what's going on. My face, I have one of those. When it's a good day, you can tell. When it's a bad day, you can tell. <laughs> you just, yeah, I'm pretty transparent. So there's not a lot of guessing when it comes to me. So I'm just thinking, this is normal life. <laughs> he, he can attest. One look at my face. Oh, okay, we're going to walk out of the room. <laughs> so, um, so, um, so I'm just casually having this conversation. And all of a sudden, the room just went... And I was like, oh, what's going on, Lord? Like, what, what did, did I say? And I'm still not really, clu- I'm clueless about what I just felt, but I felt God's presence just come. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here then and see what you want to do. And then pretty soon the conversation shifted. People got nervous, and then pretty soon they got up and walked away. And I was like, hmm, that was weird. So I'm driving home. With, I'm living in Washington at the time. So I'm, we're driving home, and my one brother... We're texting, and he's letting me know Dad's condition, and because, uh, yeah. So he's like, I said, you know what? My dad is so lucky, or I said, our dad. I said, Dad's so lucky. He's he's dying, and he's surrounded by people who love him. Like that's what a gift. I think that's a gift. Like I said, when it's my turn, I hope I have that. I hope I'm surrounded by people who love me. I hope that that's how I get to go. And my brother's like, well, of course you will. And more, he goes, when you talked about forgiveness and loving God, he goes, something happened in my heart. And this is the brother who almost came. (laughs) This is the brother who, um, he was an alcoholic and he's gone through AA and he's been in AA for 20 years and he's clean and sober and he's a 
sponsor for other people, and he goes to his meetings all the time. So he understands, you know, he has a, a head knowledge of understanding what forgiveness is because of the Bible. But something happened when I just talked about it. He said something shifted in my heart. And I was like, oh, wow, you're not the one I would have expected a reaction to. So I was like, thank you, Lord, that you, you were able to use me, you know, and I didn't even know it. That's the best times, actually, you know. So, um, so then a couple days later, we get the phone call. My dad passes away, and um, then we have the memorial the next month in August. And so we're at the memorial. My brother, my older brother, he's a uh, Episcopalian priest, pastor, whatever the callers and all that stuff is. Um, he, <laughs> that's who he is. And, and he's got these really liberal views of life and stuff. And that's where him and my dad, you know, clash. And, um, so he comes to us at the memorial. We have a, my dad was in the Navy. So we had a military service on Friday and then we had the church service on Sunday or Saturday. And so Friday at the military service afterwards, he comes and he says, you know, that thing you talked about, at the table that day, I was like, yeah. He goes, I had to go home and change my whole eulogy. And ended up his eulogy was all about forgiveness. I was like, wow, that's amazing. So then my sister-in-law goes to Denny and she's like, you know, since Danette talked to us at the table that day, I've had to whole rethink this forgiveness thing. I've never thought about it before. I was like, Ooh, that thing, that's what was happening. <laughs> like, wow, God, thank you. You know, it's like, it was, it, I felt so honored, like, that I could speak in, because when you're the youngest, I, I don't know how many are youngest in the room, but sometimes I know my youngest perspective is nobody listens to the little sister. Like, they all, they're older, they all know it all, they all, nobody wants to take any um, encouragement or, you know, learn anything from little sisters. So I kind of always felt like it doesn't matter what I say because I'm the little sister and nobody's going to listen. So, um, so I was just really surprised. I was really shocked that I was able to have influence on my, my siblings and that, and it was dealing with forgiveness. And, um, so, so that's my dad's story. My, my dad, the thing I was thinking, when I was thinking about my dad, I think, you know, he had a really rough life. He, he came from a family of 10 kids uh, and, and they were poor and, you know, he, he had all these, he had to have had so many internal conflicts to go through the marriages that he went through and he didn't really have peace until the end. And, you know, he went to alcohol and women for trying to solve that stuff that goes on inside. And, um, and the Lord, the Lord just kind of spoke to me and he said, your family, you might be messy, you might make messes, but you end well. And I was like, thank you, God. Like, that's where it counts, is how we end. Like, I've made, I've made plenty of messes in my life. I've, I've made plenty of messes that I'm not proud of and I'm not happy about, but I'm ending well. I know that I'm not close, you know, I'm not on my deathbed like my dad was, but, you know, I'm getting closer. Um, so I, I just, like, I, I'm holding on to that with my kids. I'm using that as a prophetic word, a testimony from my dad as a prophetic word from my kids that they're kind of all making a bit of messes right now, but they're going to end well. That's my declaration over them. They're going to end well. They're going to get this. They're going to do it right. They're going to, you know, when you're young and you're raising your kids, this is how it was for me. I had these visions of what my kids were going to be. They were going to travel with us and preach, and we were going to be this musical family, and we were going to, like, you know, the Partridge family of the Christian world, you know. 
And um, like zero of that has happened. <laughs> like zero. They've all like gone. We, we made those mistakes of raising our kids with religion and not relationship. And that ended up creating wedges with our, some of us. And so we're still, we're still cleaning up these messes and we're still making a way. And, and God's been really faithful and honoring and blessing. And, and um, so um, fast forward a little bit. So now we, we got married. We had these kids. We raised our kids. The two older boys got married. We had this one left over. And we thought, one's portable. So that's when we felt like the call to missions. So we're like, we'll take him to missions with us. We don't, we don't have to wait for him to grow up. We'll just take him with us. And it was really, really great for him. And Denny shared a bit about how we got into doing what we're doing. We, we stumbled into uh, planning schools and training, and, and we loved it. And so we go to, we go to uh, Africa. We go to Zimbabwe. We'd been to Africa uh, several times and just had a huge heart for it. And um, we're in Africa, and we're, we're, we're in Zimbabwe. And the first school didn't work out so well, so we're going into Harare, and we're doing this leadership school, and it's exploding. Like, it's exploding. We are like riding the wave. We're just surfing. We're just riding the wave. We're like, God, you are so good. Thank you so much. Like people are getting it. Like they're gra- they're actually listening to what we're saying and they're walking in it and we're watching it. We're like proud parents. Like, you know, we asked them to do the dishes and they're doing the dishes. Yay. <laughs> you know, they're doing it. They've got it. And, and they're teaching others now and they're growing and growing. And, um, and we come home for Christmas uh, I don't, the years are too foggy. Um, and we get this message. Um, my, my, our second son, his birthday is in December. And so he called us on his birthday. Well, actually we called him and he's like, guess what I got for my birthday present? I might be a grandpa. <laughs> and he was turning 37. He was turning, yeah, he was turning 37. And, um, his wife had left earlier in the year, and his 13-year-old daughter didn't handle life well and got involved in a bad crowd and some drugs and stuff, and she got raped, at, and at 14, she got pregnant. And so I, one thing is she's not like um, my, my son's a believer, and she was at the place where I don't, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to hear anything about God, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she had been... Um, She's in the goth thing, all black, and everything's black, nail polish, hair, makeup, clothes, everything's black. And um, she didn't, her first response was she went to this uh, counseling center. It was a Christian counseling center, pregnancy center. And they gave her materials about you can have the baby or you can give the baby for adoption. You have choices. They didn't talk about abortion. She didn't want to hear about abortion, which for me, I was amazed. Like, knowing where she was, it's not like because she was a good Christian girl, it was, you know, and believed in God and all that. She didn't. But she just knew. She just knew that wasn't right, you know. Talk about the law of God written on our hearts, you know. I feel like that's, like, she just knew right from wrong in that situation. And then she went and told her parents, her dad, and and um, so we came home that we were home that year for Christmas and and we were visiting him and my son was in this tiny little apartment. He had two other kids and he's drowning. He's just drowning. He's trying to take he's trying to be a dad of three now, a single parent. He works at Walmart, he's assistant store manager for Walmart. So he's these crazy hours, crazy long hours and, and he couldn't afford a babysitter, so the thirteen year old's watching the other two 
and she's messed up, and so now they're messed up. And the mom had already messed them all up really well before she left. And um, and so uh, I'm like, we've got to come home. We we've got to we can't just we can't go do our riding surf wave thing in Africa and have our son drowning here. We can't do that. So we went back to Africa and we said, this is our situation. Our granddaughter's pregnant and um, she's having the baby and we need to go be there and support. There's no mom on the scene and uh, my son is drowning. And so um, they totally understand. They're, oh, absolutely. We bless you. We support you. They, our, our friends in, in Africa financially supported us our first year back. Talk about humbling. <laughs> I mean, we needed it because we weren't missionaries anymore, and you know our support kind of dropped. And our our Africa friends and family supported us for a year. It was crazy. Our, our pastor, one of our pastor friends in Africa, came out. He said that his first response when we told him he had the biggest church that we ministered with. He goes, "I need to meet this baby. Tell me when she's born." I don't know if we knew it was a she yet, but just tell me when this baby's born. I want to meet this baby. I'm like. We're going to be in Washington State. I had to really explain. His wife made the airline tickets, and she booked us that. She thought we were Washington, D.C., and she wanted to know how she could get an Uber to our house. I was like, well, you might want to fly cross-country first, um, and then we'll just pick him up. Uh, so, so, um, so our plan was to come back in July because the baby was born in, Ju- in August. The due date was August. And in April... We get a phone call from my very best friend. We've been friends for 30 years. And her husband had had Parkinson's, and we knew his time was coming short. And he passed away in April. And he said, she's asking, can we come do the service? So I thought, well, we we talked. We said, well, let's go home and do the service for Jim. We'll be there two weeks. We'll come back. We'll close out our work in Africa. And then we already had tickets to come back in July, original tickets for that for the baby. That was the plan. You know, we make our plan. God directs our steps. So we were actually on the first vacation we had taken in Africa. We were in South Africa with a friend at her family's house. First time we'd taken a vacation, and we left from there. So I left Africa with my vacation suitcase bag because that's where we were in South Africa. We weren't in Zimbabwe, but thinking I was only going to be gone two weeks. Well, we go back home. And we do the funeral, and I'm talking to my granddaughter, and she's just having all sorts of complications with her pregnancy. And she's got nobody. She's got, she's got nobody. So I looked at him, and I said, you know, I think I'm supposed to stay. I think I need to stay and be with this, my, this girl for her pregnancy and help Daniel, and you go back. So he went back to Africa for the next two months and closed everything up. So I never got to go say goodbye. I never got closure. I never got to tie up my loose ends. He did everything for me. He was so sweet because we lived there. That was our home. So he would lay all my clothes out on the bed because he could only bring so much back. And he would put numbers on them. And he'd take a picture. And he goes, tell me what numbers you want. I'm like, I want one. I want four. I want seven. I want... <laughs> and that's how he packed for me. And he did it so graciously over every piece of clothing I had. And I said, just bring all the jewelry back, please. <laughs> that was the important thing. <laughs> That's the one thing I care about. We had, you know, we had fires in Reading this summer, and we had to evacuate. And he, we're, we just moved into an apartment in April, our first time we've lived on our own since 1999. And um, and he's like, 
so what's important to you here in the house? And I was like, well, I'm going to have to keep working. I need clothes, which means I need shoes, which means I need jewelry. So that's what I need to take with me. <laughs> and the computers, of course, we grabbed the computers. And that's all we took out. Unfortunately, we didn't lose our place. But um, anyway, that's how I think is that. So, so I'm in, I, I, I go to, uh, he goes back to Africa after the funeral. And I drive up to Washington while my, I have a brother that lives about 20 minutes from my son. And my son's apartment was super tiny. I knew he really didn't have room for me. So I call my brother and I say, hey, this is what's going on. Can I stay with you for, you know, I might need to be there a month or so, but can I stay? And he goes, yeah, sure. But you just might need to know that his wife, um, her name is Diana, which is my sister's name as well. Um, uh, Diana was just diagnosed with cancer yesterday oral cancer and she's going to have, to have surgery and i was like are you okay with me staying there no absolutely we've got a bedroom just come just feel free come and go as much as you want so i walked into this cancer situation here and then i was driving to my son's stuff there the little five-year-old my grandson was just turning five had no he was four and he was so sheltered in this apartment his mom, all she wanted to do was sleep all day and be up all night. So she would just turn video games on for him. And he just stayed in the apartment and played video games at four. He was so not used to being outside, he had to wear sunglasses to go outside because the sun hurt his eyes so bad. He was so shut down and so crazy. And so um, he was supposed to start kindergarten the next year, and he knew nothing. He, he knew some colors, but alphabet numbers, except nothing. So I homeschooled my boys, and I'm like, let's just start homeschool. <laughs> so I was homeschooling him. My son needed to move because the obvious, you know, obvious situation with being the where he was. So I was house hunting for him. So I found him a house, and it was on the other side of Vancouver where he lived. The other Vancouver. Did you know there was another Vancouver? <laughs> I learned that when I lived there. Like, there's this is the other Vancouver, not the one most people. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about is the BC is the Vancouver, but we lived in the other Vancouver in the States. <laughs> so I got educated. Um, just like last night, I didn't know that you guys all live in BC. <laughs> I thought this was Alberta. We always go see Scotneys in Alberta, and it's just like, shoop, just straight up. And so he's like, last night, anybody from Alberta? I'm like, what's he talking about? Isn't everybody from Alberta? <laughs> I got educated. See, I can always learn. <laughs> <laughs> so um so i we find a house we move my son i get him moved and um and my sister has to have half of her tongue cut out they replaced it with some arm stuff here and they took veins and stuff and re- rebuilt a tongue and and then they she took out lymph glands and so she just was major major surgery and and my brother because i was staying there a couple times i was like can i can I pray for you guys? Can I, can I pray for her? Like, yeah. I'm like, okay. My brother's never been one to, like, he doesn't really get me. My, the, my sisters, the three of us girls, we're all believers and stuff, but my brother's not really been in that. So he let me pray. So I got to pray for her a couple times at the house, and then the morning of the surgery, we all go to the hospital, and you're there, you know, when it's still dark, like early dark, not like... It seemed like it was dark at 8 o'clock here, but <laughs> it was like 5 or something there. It's dark. And, um, and we get ready to go in the hospital. My brother stops, and he goes, will you pray for us again? And so I really got to pray and minister during that time. It was fun, um, fun to be that for them, but hard to walk through. So 
I find myself, you know, this balancing act between these two homes of crisis and, um, and then having Denny gone for two months is not, you know, we don't like, we do everything together. Our ministry is always together. And, and so that's not an easy thing for us. So we're trying to keep connected, you know, in different continents and, um, and then we've got the kids stuff, you know, and the pregnancy. And so it was kind of a lot. Um, so then he gets home and, uh, we finally, we have the baby and she's a beautiful and amazing. And my poor little granddaughter, we, we take the baby and we go to, I go to give it to her. I'm like, here, this is your daughter. She's like, she looks at me and she goes, it's okay that I hold her. Honey, this is your baby. She's yours. When her siblings were little, her mom would say, you can't hold the babies. You'll drop them. I'm afraid you'll drop them. So she couldn't have any contact with the babies, her siblings. So she didn't know. And she had no natural instinct. You know, there was not the nurturing thing and stuff. So we got to spend a year and just pour into these guys. And we brought order and we brought um, peace and we brought stability. And and, um, and we got to love on this little precious blessing of God, you know. And and, um, we got to watch my granddaughter grow up and... And then my son got involved in another relationship, and um, they're engaged now. And But he had moved her in with her two boys, and that's two of our... We, we count them as our grandkids now because they're getting married. And, um, and it was at that point we felt like, you're making decisions here. I think we're done. We felt like... We feel like our part here is done. Like, we, we brought the stability and stuff. So that year we were there, though, my body just took a hit. I had some um, adrenal fatigue hit hard, hard, hard. And so um, I, and I had to get a job because, um, you know, we needed income. So I worked at Safeway and, and uh, in between all that. And Denny became the best Mr. Mom ever. He cooked, he cleaned, he did laundry, he did child care. He, he was amazing, absolutely amazing, and was just a rock and a... Uh, got us through all of it. So um, the point of this story is that there's times where you're going through life, and and I've had these times of where you just mess up. You make wrong decisions. You made bad calls. You do. You just mess up, and things happen, and you you reap that, and you have to walk through cleaning that mess up. I've been there. Totally been there. And then there's times you go through life, and things are great, and things happen. And you have to walk away from that to do this. And there's that sense of disappointment. You know, you, you, you have that disappointment of, and these questions of, I didn't do anything wrong this time. You know, I, I, I didn't blow it like, hey, for me, that's a, <laughs> yay. But there was just that processing of, but things were going well, and we got pulled out. And what do we do with that? And how do we deal with that disappointment? And how do we walk that out? And God, where are you in the middle of this? And I felt like that process took me for a huge tailspin of, I'm not sure I know who I am now. I don't know what my identity is. And, and I, you know, our identity isn't supposed to be what we do. It's who we are. And we preach that really well. <laughs> and then you get to walk it out. And then you get to walk out who you really are. When nobody's watching. I've never ever. I, we've lived in three countries. I've never ever lived in a place. Like I did in Washington. Where I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. I had nobody to call. My brother was busy with his wife with cancer. 
you know, and my, my son was work and kids, you know, it was, we tried going to churches. We tried to get involved in churches and we couldn't get anybody to say hi to us when we walked in. We, we couldn't, we tried to make friends and we couldn't make friends. It was the craziest time. I've never, ever, ever lived like that. I'm, I'm fairly social. <laughs> and I'm used to having, you know, some connections, somebody. And, and I made friends at work. I had work friends, but they were work friends. You know, that was different. So New Year's Day, I remember what year, a couple years ago. Um, he, we had gone down to my son and Tracy to his house for Christmas and I had to fly home cause I could only get so many days off of work. And then his mom was turning 80. So he stayed to go to her birthday. So we had this little Honda, we had this little 2003 Honda Civic and it was given to us when we lived in Mexico. And, um, so he was driving it home and hit, uh, uh, there was, we was trying to get ahead of a storm as he's driving home New Year's Eve, trying to get home to me to surprise me New Year's Eve, trying to get ahead of a snowstorm that was coming in. You guys know nothing about that, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, he got outside of Grant's Pass, and somebody had a Christmas tree that fell off of their vehicle in the middle of the interstate. It was dark time. It, was, it wasn't snowing yet, was it? And uh, anyway, our little car hit it and kind of totaled it a bit. He was fine, but now he's stranded on... It's, it was a Saturday night, cause, and New Year's was on Monday, and so, you know, nothing's open. You can't get help. But fortunately, he had an... Sunday night. It was? I thought it was, it was Sunday night. So fortunately, he had an aunt and uncle that lived there that he got rescued by and got to stay. So I'm borrowing a car to go to work on New Year's Day where the snowstorm had hit there. And they, tell, they all know work that I live... We have this one hill, and then we have another hill to get to our house. And first of all, I don't know how to drive in the snow. I pray for it all the time when I'm here because I like watching it. <laughs> But not driving in it. I'm, when I'm here, I don't have to drive in it. I have people who love me who drive in it, so I don't have to. And they have experience that I don't. So um, I got stranded, and um, I, I, they, they all, when it starts snowing, they're like, you need to leave because we know you can't get home if you don't leave in time. <laughs> so you Californian, you. And um, so I did, and, and I, I left too late, and I couldn't get up the hill, and I backed it into this little side road. And I thought, I've got nobody to call. I have Denny's in Cal. In, I thought in California. I didn't know it. The, I don't know if I knew about the accident yet. Anyway, Denny's not here. Daniel's at work. Oh, that's right. You were at Grant. You were at Uncle's. Um, so I'm just like. So I, this had been about seven months of buildup. So I just sat and cried. <laughs> sat in my car, my freezing cold car, because it was snowing, and I just cried. And I'm like, God, I have, no, absolutely do not know what to do. I, I've never been in this position. I've never been stranded. I've never had nobody to call. I guess it's just you and me. <laughs> I guess you'll have to do. <laughs> I'm just pouring my heart out to him. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've not been here before, and and it's just kind of scary. And I don't. And I'm. I have work shoes on. And I can't just walk home. And and I didn't want to anyway because it was a hill and snow. And um, and so I just cried and I just said, God, I. I don't know where you are right now. And I'm not used to being that. I'm a minister. I always know where God is, you know? <laughs> That's what it's supposed to be, right? And I didn't know. And I cried. I cried for about a half hour. I had my sister on the phone, my oldest sister. She's my encourager. 
I'm like, I don't know what to do. She goes, I'll stay on the phone with you as long as you need me and just cry, keep crying, I don't care, keep crying. So I did. And um, praise, I saw this guy walk by my car with a dog or something. And I'm like, he didn't even stop. Cold climate people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was one of the cold, I was there, I was in cold climate too. Um, and so I'm on the phone and I'm just, and I'm just crying. And pretty soon then he walks back. And he goes, knocks on my window. And I'm like, wiping my face off. I'm like, he goes, are you stranded? I'm like, yes, I am. He goes, where do you live? I'm over there. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's move your car so it's a little bit safer. Because you know, I didn't do a very good job of that. So we move the car. It's a little bit safer. And this Jeep comes by. It's a guy in a Jeep. She's stranded? Yeah. Said, Can you give her some help? Yeah, I can. Just give her a He ends up living two doors down from us. Drops me off right at my front door. And... And I'm like, thank you, God. Like, he's there. It's like, he, he doesn't promise that we're not going to go through the hard times. He doesn't promise that we're not going to have disappointment and discouragement. That's not written in the word. What he promises is, I'll be with you in the middle of it. I'll be there. And if you can't find me, if you can't see me, if you don't know where I'm at, just ask. I promise to be there. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. That's a promise you can bank on. It's real. In the midst of the deepest discouragement, the deepest heartache, the deepest disappointment, he's there. And he's there like I, 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 I've never felt God hold me more than the hardest times of my life. But I felt his wrapping arms around me holding me going, you are not alone. You're here. I'm here. It's going to be okay. A couple months ago, we were with some friends of ours that have a church, and Denny was going to preach, and they were doing worship, and so I, he had sat down, I sat down, and it's just right before the worship ends, and I have a vision, and I see Jesus, and he comes, and like, I'm on this side, and he comes, and he puts his hand, he kneels down, he puts his hands on our, each of our legs, and he looks at me, and he's just like giving me encouragement, and just really speaking some really affirming words, and it was really awesome. And then he looks at me and he, he looks at me like those, when you really want to tell your kids something serious, you're like, look at my face. You look at me because I'm going to tell you something you need to hear. You may, I don't want you like daydreaming off in the, you look at me. <laughs> it was one of those. He gave me this look and I wasn't emotional. Usually God's presence comes like this. I'm just a blubbering, you know, fool. Um, but I was just very, like, matter of fact, like, oh, Jesus is here. Okay, thank you. What do you have to say? You know, it was, like, so weird. It was not me at all. And, um, and he goes, I'm, he gives me that look, and he's like, it's going to be okay. And he says it three times. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm like, that's awesome. Thanks. It didn't dawn on me to ask him what is going to be okay. <laughs> I didn't think of it. I, I was telling my sisters, and they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I go, I know, I thought of that later. Like, I'm going to have to remember this. This is something I need to remember to remind myself it's going to be okay. And a couple weeks later, the fires broke out in Reading, and I heard God, Jesus say, it's going to be okay. 
And ever since then, when I have this turmoil, see, when I went through the breakdown with the adrenal, I call it a breakdown. I had a, some type of breakdown in my body with these adrenal things. I started having anxiety issues, and I've never had anxiety issues before, ever. And it was like this motor that just runs constantly, and you can't make it stop, and it drains you. It's like energy going, you know, it drains you physically. So I'd have no energy, and I couldn't function, and I couldn't get through days very well. And there's some days I couldn't get out of bed. And so I had this anxiety thing, and, and I'm just now, like, I'm probably, I'm probably like at 75% better now. I'm, I'm just now where I can have energy to, to do what I need to do, and I don't have the motor running all the time. It's like finally starting to calm down and getting healed. But um, when, it would, when that would rev up, I could go back, and he would say, it's going to be okay. Sometimes I wouldn't even know why it's there. I don't, like, it's not like a thought would trigger it. <laughs> A fear, a worry, I, I, I don't know. It was just my body reacting to something, and it would just get all stirred up. And, and, and I would get so frustrated because I would just think, if I knew where the switch was, I would turn it off. If I could figure out, do I need to eat something? Do I need to not eat something? Do I need to drink something? Do I need to not drink something? Do I, like, where is that switch? Because usually, you know, you want to fix it. Something's broken. You've got to fix it. And I take supplements, and I'm, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm way down the road, like, and I'm way better. But in the middle, there's just times where you've got something going on in your life, and you're like, where is the off button? Show, just show me where that button is, and I'll, I'll push it. I'll turn it off. I'll do whatever it takes, because this is not fun. I don't like it. I don't like, the, I don't like this, and I don't like being drained. I don't like saying, I can't go for a walk because I don't have the energy. I can't do shopping. I can't make dinner tonight. He's been making dinner for me. He's been making breakfast, lunch, and dinner for me for the last two and a half years, pretty much, because I couldn't do it. I know, right? I am so spoiled. <laughs> when I can, we go do it together, or I or I tell him I can do it, and he gets to not have to, or he cooks and I clean. And like I do what I can, but there's times I can't. There's times I come home for work. I work eight hours, and I'm done. And there's nothing left. And, and so that's getting better. I'm doing much better. And I just worked 10 days straight before I came here in order to get the two days off to come to be able to pay for that time out. And, and I did it. Like, I, could, I did it. So it's like huge win for me. It's huge victory. But I'm just saying there's just times where in life we're stuck somewhere and we can't find the off button. It's going to be Okay. You just get that connection with him. Denny talked about this connection last night. We've got to get connected to God. We've got to get connected to the Father. And it's a personal thing. It's a personal, it's a one-on-one. There's not a a one-size-fits-all fix for most of our things in life. Most of our things in life are, what does he say to you? Have you been around those families who, like, we don't have a TV we don't watch TV because it's not good and it affects blah, blah, blah. And they have all these reasons why they don't watch TV. And we used to go, oh, we shouldn't watch TV then. We, they said TV's bad. We shouldn't watch TV. So we got rid of our TV. People would go, why'd you get rid of your TV? Because it's bad. Why is it bad? I, I don't know. They said it was bad. So we did that. <laughs> what did God say to you? Oh, well, he told them it was bad. So I just figured it was probably bad for everybody. <laughs> you know. What's he saying to you? We started praying. We're like, you know what? It's okay for us to have our TV. We just have to be able to control it. We have to control it and not let it control us. 
So TV's okay. So I don't know if you've gone through those, like the church has had all these swings, like, you know, this, I, I don't know what, when I was raising my kids, there's all sorts of bad toys out there, you know? So we'd go through and we'd throw out all their toys and my kids would like, remember when you took my Star Wars stuff away because it was evil, it was demonic. Remember we couldn't have Smurfs. Remember we couldn't have, you know, I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> they said in church, we weren't supposed to let our kids have those things. <laughs> And then we wondered why they went up and did drugs and got messed up, you know. We tried. We were trying to be good parents. We didn't know. We read these books. Get rid of all the bad stuff. Instead of teaching our kids how to fight from inside. I can just say my testimony is God's faithful. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's faithful. He's good. And the songs that were played in worship today, do you know, for me, I don't know how it is for you. I know I'm not different. Um, You go through certain stuff, there's certain music and songs you just grab and hold, and they get you through those times. Like, you're like, well, It Is Well was the first song that, uh, when it came out, we were in Africa, and, and we were given this little car to drive. It was a, you know, you drive on the other side, you know, we drive on the right, they drive on the wrong. <laughs> That's how I look at it. <laughs> Steering wheels on the other side, you drive on the side of the road, all this. And, um, and of course, it had, it was like, a, I don't remember what year it was, like a 93 or something like that. It was a little old Toyota, Honda. No, the little white one. It was, it was a little, anyway, it was a little sedan, five-speed, right-hand shift, and... Um, Anyway, I remember when that song came, I remember we would be driving through Africa roads and we would have um, a little Bose speaker that we did a Bluetooth to with our phones for music and we'd be playing that song and it is well. It's like, God, we don't understand what's going on right now. This was in our shift of having to leave Africa and knowing it was coming and some other stuff that was going on. and, And we would just worship and the tears would just, just come, and it was so comforting. It was just something that would release his presence right in the moment. And we just need, sometimes we just need that. We need to know, what is your song for the season? Like, what are you holding on to? What is it that's getting you through? Because you're not expected to be Superman and just fly right through it. Not on your own. You can fly through it with him, but not on your own. And so that song, and then the, you know, the, the next one, you know, uh, the fear one, and like both of those just like tong, hit me so hard. It's like it just brought, and then there's got a lion right there. It's Africa. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded with Africa right now. And it's like making me cry like a baby. And because um, my heart is so for Africa. And I don't know when I'm going to get to go back and if and when. Because I have a job now. Like, you know, when you have a job, they expect you to show up <laughs> five days a week, eight hours a day. <laughs> like, clock in, clock out, and like, work, work, work. I mean, how do you people do this? Like, I haven't done this for almost 20 years, you know? I'm like, life is not as fun when you have these restrictions. Like, I'm used to just going, hey, you want to go to Canada for a couple weeks? Yeah, let's just book it on our calendar and let's just go. And now it's like these little tiny puzzle pieces trying to get them to fit together. And um, I love my job. God gave, God blessed me with an excellent job, blessed Denny with a job, so we love what we're doing. And God gave us jobs before we came back to Reading, which Reading is a very, very hard place to get jobs. It's, 
It's, it's just not... My sister was there over three years before she got a job, a regular full-time steady job. We walked into Reading with full-time jobs. And so we knew God was blessing it. And so we know where we're supposed to be. We know we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We know we're in the right place, the right season. But um, I just wanted to share a bit of my story. And um, I hope you're able to glean something out of it and just resonate that, you know, God's faithful. He's faithful. And and, and we don't don't blame him when we go through the hard stuff, when bad things happen. My 14-year-old, my 14-year-old had a baby. She did, she, she... She's got all these piercings on her face and other parts of her body that we don't need to talk about. Um, And um, so when you look at her, she's one of those that is really easy to go and distance yourself. She's not one that you just, you know, there's some kids you just go, oh, let me just hold you. You're so cute. I've got grandkids like that, too. But but her, I always do that with her anyway because I know her. And, and so as we lived with them, we had talks, and they said, Chloe, tell me about the piercings. Like, why the piercings? She said, I've gone through so many times I wanted to kill myself. And I knew I really couldn't kill myself, so I would pierce as a sign of victory of overcoming. It was her symbol of overcoming, overcoming suicide one more time. She has 37 piercings on her body. She's 14. 14-year-olds should not have to contemplate suicide 37 times. So I'm like, not my style, but I love you. I love you. And, you, and she knows that. She knows that. She's, we talk about tattoos, and I'm like, yeah, not such a fan. <laughs> She lives with her boyfriend now. Yesterday was her birthday. She turned 17. Baby's two. She got her high school diploma in September. Um, She is in uh, community college. She was in community college last year, and now she'll get her AA by June. Um, So we talk. She loves biology. She loves learning. She's smart. Who knew? She was smart. We didn't know. She's smart (laughs) because she made bad decisions. (laughs) She's smart. And... um, (laughs) And so she's getting her AA, and she wants to go into the medical field. She loves biology. She's loving it. So I said, I had this talk with her, and I said, you know, obviously you don't have a problem with needles. <laughs> Obvious. And she pierces other people. She gets paid to pierce other people. And, um, and I said, and blood obviously doesn't bother you, because sometimes, you know, it's involved with the needles. And I said, you know, what about phlebotomy? Like, why don't, you know, the people who draw blood, like, why not look into that? That's an easy program to get into, and, you know, you can make money. Um, And so she's going through some health stuff right now, and she had to go get blood drawn. So she was talking to the phlebotomists, and they were, and she was, this gal was really encouraging to her and saying, oh, she goes, I went on to nursing. She goes, but I've come back to phlebotomy because it's my favorite, and just really encouraged her. So she goes, I think I'm on the right track, Nana. I think I'm on the right track. She goes, this lady's making 30 bucks an hour. (laughs) I'm like, go, girl. You go, girl. Like, she's 17. She can change her mind 10 times if she wants to. But she's heading somewhere. Like, she's heading somewhere. She's got a vision. She's got a plan. She's engaged. <laughs> I'll just share. I'll do a little sneak peek with you. Uh, she's engaged. Her plans are she wants to get married on October 31st, 2020. Happens to be Halloween on a Saturday. So she can get married in the daytime and wear her wedding dress trick-or-treating. 
I love this girl. I love her. So on her, her, her birthday was yesterday, so I always try to get wish lists, you know, especially Amazon wish lists is how I do since I live, I've lived away for so long. So she sent me her wish list, and um, the first, I said, okay, we talked, and I said, okay, you've sent me several things. What's your very number one favorite that you're looking for? And she goes, well, do you see the pink and white dinosaur costume? Because she loves these costume things, you know. She wears them year-round, outside of the house, in public. <laughs> to school. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I saw that. And she goes, did you see the one that Lily could wear, her daughter? We, I thought it'd be cute if we were like matching costumes for Halloween. I'm like, you got it, girl. She's lost so much of her childhood. Anytime I can pour into that and let her have some of that back, I do it. I do it. So she got her pink costume. She wore it all day yesterday. She goes, I haven't taken it off since I got it. I said, Lily's won't show up till next week. For some reason, they didn't come at the same time, but she's getting one too. You send me pictures. I need pictures. So, so God's faithful. God's good. And um, this afternoon, uh, hopefully I'll get through some of this other stuff I have. But um, let's just, if you want to stand up and just stretch a bit, we'll just pray. Close. You got anything? Oh, Jesus, you're so good. Father, you're such a good father. Holy Spirit, you're always here. What else can we say besides wow and thank you? Just thank you for this time. Lord, I just ask that there were seeds that were planted here today, that Holy Spirit, you would continue to water, and that you would let us walk down roads that would take us into freedom, and that every step we take in our journey brings us into more freedom. Freedom comes when we let go of the hard stuff. Freedom comes when we, when we forgive. Freedom comes when we're willing to bless those that we really want to curse. Freedom comes when we just follow what you're doing. Freedom comes because we come to you and we say, I don't know where you're at, God. Will you show me? Will you show me? I want to see you. And sometimes he shows up through another person, and sometimes it's that, quil- that still, small voice inside us. Where he says, it's going to be okay. We might live life messy, but we end well. So we just thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. And I bless these people, your loved ones, in Jesus' name. Amen.